guys, Crypto with Dinny here today on the podcast. I have Jake Boyle from Caleb and Brown, director in Caleb and Brown. Um, I've been using Caleb and Brown myself personally for the last couple of years, and um, Jake's good enough to come on today and chat a little bit about crypto, Bitcoin, and uh, Caleb. Jake, you're very welcome, man. I appreciate you having me here, and it's been nice working with you as well over these years. Thanks, man. Uh, first off, so I know that you've moved recently from Melbourne to London, and my first question is going to be, how did you survive that move, and how is London treating you? For sure. Um, so ever since moving across to London about five, six months ago, I've been hopping in and out of uh, Europe and the UK and whatnot. Look, uh, I mean, the first thing everyone wants to know is the weather, because Australians, and the cliche in Australia is that we're all, once we finish work, we go surfing or... <laughs> Uh, something to do with kangaroos, something to do with the sun or the beaches, which uh, is partially true, to be quite honest with you. Um, and look, I'm certainly not surfing in London. Um, and I haven't really seen much sunlight since coming over here. But that being said, um, whilst the climate is very different uh, in Europe and particularly London than it is in Australia, uh, the business environment and just the scale of which things happen is really, it's not really something that can be compared to cities in Australia. So it really does offset it in that sense. So I am enjoying it here, that's for sure. Yeah, awesome. I was over in London myself uh, last year at the token event, the crypto event, and it was my first time in London, believe it or not, and I was blown away by the city and uh, <laughs> how thriving it is, how big it is as well. Um, for sure. Yeah, it was awesome. What has, so, so I probably should have gave contacts. Caleb have recently moved use of offices in London now and, 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 uh, and that's what's taking you over there. So Caleb has been expanding since I've been a customer anyway. Every time I look, the LinkedIn profile of staff gets bigger. Um, have you seen, it, what's it been like with crypto adoption working in the industry? Because you've been in Caleb from, from the very beginning. Yeah, so in terms of our business, um, we started out with just a very, very small handful of us. And now we're in a situation where we have just shy, just shy of 100 staff uh, globally. Um, we also were originally just based in Melbourne, Australia, where we still are to this day an Australian-owned um, and operated business. It's just now that we've realized that we need to be 24-7. We need to be keeping up with this ever-moving market. So setting up some offices around the world so we can support a 24-7 operation for clients, that was the number one priority. And then any other opportunities that come with international expansion in terms of any business relationships and things like that is obviously a blessing as well. Um, but in terms of uh, adoption on a broader sense and our involvement within it, when we first started the business up, the industry as a whole was, there was no precedence. But there's, there's nothing that you can compare your business against in the slightest. If you want to create a product, if you want to offer a service, you just need to figure that out from scratch because you can't copy and paste what that business across the road is doing or another business over here because no one's interested in the space. The trade volume would have been a fraction of what it is now. And the only people who are really talking about cryptocurrency were even more ostracized and laughed at than they are today. <laughs> this was about 2016, I think, was it? Yeah, this was the 16, 17 period. Um, sure. So I'd been, I'd been in the space for a number of years before that where it was, that was just getting to a point where it wasn't even about laughing at people who mentioned crypto. It's about asking, what is it? If someone is to mention it. And then very quickly, 
ignoring that person and not wanting to talk to them anymore. Maybe that was just my experience. <laughs> Deadly. So yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's grown now. I think 2021, I've always said it was 2021 is when we became mainstream, you know, where I think the normal people start to think, well, this isn't going away and we're probably, it's going to be adopted somewhat, but bringing it back a little bit to your personal story, because you mentioned you were even, you had personal involvement before, um, before Caleb and Brown. So what is that personal story and journey? How did you end up into oh. this funny internet money? Yeah, no, good question. Um, so this is taking it back a very long time ago, but even just through my studies when I was a lot younger, um, this industry I just thought was radically different and uh, extremely, it was criticized very much. It was very hard to kind of read anything online or see any videos that weren't painting a negative picture of the industry. Um, and when you're kind of young and you're studying and you're starting to not like your studies as much and you're starting to think that doing accounting for two hours in a class is not really the most inspiring endeavor. Um, I think it naturally encourages you to start thinking, well, all the things that I'm told to enjoy and like, I don't. So maybe some of the things that are told to be taboo or um, you know disagreeable, maybe they're the things that I actually might be interested in. Um, and studying up about Bitcoin and reading about some of the use cases, reading about some of the, the situations involved in the space from the best all the way through to the worst, I just thought it was very intriguing. And also because in that stage I was starting my first business and then I was gauging in the export market, dealing with foreign currency and wire systems and just the bureaucracy and logistics of money movements became very apparent. And it started just to become very obvious that from a transactional perspective, I could not see a future where it would continuously take three to five business days for me to send funds to a business overseas with no control or no understanding of whether the funds have actually been received by that party. I'm kind of just sitting on my hands, uh, <laughs> twiddling my thumbs, hoping for the best. And if they turn around and say, sorry, Jake, that, that thousand dollars that you sent to us for this product or this service, whatever the case may be, that just never arrived. If my bank says, well, oh, it has arrived, we've sent it, it's not in your account anymore, we're at a stalemate. Um, so a lot of the use cases of cryptocurrency really started to kick in. And at that point in time, I just thought that, well, whether Bitcoin is going to be successful um, a few years later on when Ethereum came out, is Ethereum going to be successful? And you kind of go through the list. Um, a lot of the coins that were around then and in the top 10, they don't exist anymore. So the answer was a lot of these things may not be successful or will not be successful. But fundamentally, the technology and the innovation and the ethos behind the industry that's what made a lot of sense to me back in, this is like 2014, 2014, um, 13, 14 period. So then as things kind of grew from there, we started to see some major moves in the space. Um, we saw Bitcoin eventually get over a thousand US dollars, which was definitely a, a big milestone in that period of time. We also saw it crash down dramatically from a thousand US dollars after the MT Gox um, hack stolen bitcoins, uh, which happened in that period as well. So, and then we go through 15, 16, 17, which is just a whole nother wave, a whole nother uh, emotional roller coaster of opportunities and problems and fantastic cryptocurrencies and inspiring technology, all the way through to unsavory characters and um, poorly run or unethical exchanges. So, certainly the full experience there. 
And then by the time Caleb and Brown came along and that became uh, a chapter of my life, I was already quite battle hardened by the industry. So I was, uh, it's not really difficult to be surprised for me anymore. So it makes it a lot more of a uh, enjoyable journey. You're battle hardened. I like that, man. <laughs> and I think it's, Optimistic. we all have to become battle hardened because I think we come to crypto for the get rich quick and then we get battle hardened because we get punished that it's not a get rich quick. You know, it's a, it's a very volatile asset class and we have to respect it uh, and think more medium to long term as opposed to short term. Uh, but that's my sort of my thesis and my approach anyway. Um, are you are you aligned with any particular cryptos? Like for me personally, I'm very much sold on on Bitcoin being sound money and um, and I sort of see everything else in the space as really innovative and exciting and and I don't understand a lot of it. But I sort of treat it as little venture investments, so little low uh, portions of my portfolio. I'll have little speculations, but I'm very much sold on, on Bitcoin being sound money. And, and uh, so with yourself, would you have any alliances with, with, with particular protocols or, or cryptos? Good question. Um, so I think generally speaking, it's good to have a very objective approach to that. I would say that having an emotional investment in any of these cryptocurrencies there is a high probability that it will do more bad than it will good on the basis that it'll probably cloud your best judgment in times where you should be thinking objectively, but instead you're so personally tied to your holdings or your, whenever someone has a round number, 10,000 units of this, it's yeah. always quite uh, hard for them to potentially consider selling down or dollar cost averaging or whatever the case may be. So Obviously, being in the space for a while, Bitcoin was fundamentally what attracted me to the space. Um, that's always been what I've viewed as the best use case of cryptocurrency technology, um, even with some of the unfortunate realities around the world right now and, and these last few years. You can see so many examples of where Bitcoin has solved problems where other traditional systems simply have not been able to. Like People have gravitated towards that. Now, so I would definitely have Bitcoin as one of my answers there. I would also say, I know this sounds very boring because everyone probably says it, but Ethereum as well. And I'm just saying the number one of the number two cryptocurrencies. I'd agree um, 100%. The main reason why with Ethereum is that we're, we're discussing maybe five, five minutes earlier, we were discussing how in the early days, so many of these top 10 coins, whilst they were a part of the ecosystem, a part of the innovation of a nascent asset class is realizing that some of these tokens and some of these projects are not going to be successful. Things are moving so fast. If they don't keep up and provide value and solve problems, they may not exist tomorrow. So the reason why Ethereum is an interesting value proposition there is because, because Ethereum provides the framework, it provides a framework to which other tokens can make that entrepreneurial attempt at solving a problem. Now, there it would be an inconceivable amount of ethereum tokens that have not been successful that tried to do an ico or they tried to have a DeFi protocol and or a play to earn ecosystem whatever the case is and for whatever given reason consumers just simply were not interested in it so we already know that there are numerous tokens on ethereum that have not been successful but at the end of the day you get tokens such as Chainlink, you get um Aave, you get maker you get a whole variety of these DeFi platforms 
Um, even things like Axie Infinity, the, the play to earn ecosystem, which originally always was generated from Ethereum. All of these examples allude to Ethereum's ecosystem. It just needs some use cases and the rest will take care of itself. And the amount of transaction fees that are being generated, the amount of revenue on the Ethereum network has grown so dramatically over the years. It's at a point now where it's becoming more and more difficult to criticize in a sense of longevity. Deadly. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, my sort of thesis is similar to yourself. Like I've, I've taught, I, I enjoy Bitcoin or I would invest into Bitcoin and dollar cost average. And I also dollar cost average into Ethereum and everything else. I'm sort of not too sure about, I think I can, I can get a lot of upside just with those two, uh, with those two assets and our very small positions and other things. But I find that other things change, as you say, five years ago, coin market cap looked totally different than it looked today. So the latest and greatest today in today's markets in five years time, will they have fizzled out? As you say, will their ent entrepreneurial adventures have, have not succeeded as most of them don't like that's just the, the, the journey of an entrepreneur is that we fail a lot, I suppose. <laughs> yes, correct. And I think it's also worth noting too, like for our business, for example, as a cryptocurrency brokerage, we exchange in roughly a thousand coins and tokens. So for us, that's where it goes back to objectivity in the market um, and also appreciating that everyone has their own risk tolerance and everyone has their own lens as well. So for us, it's very much, we write articles, we have our blog on our website and we like to just get as many facts and statistics on the ecosystem, put them out with um, little to no subjectivity whatsoever. So that way anyone who reads it can just have that direct um like i suppose no bullshit for lack of a better word approach to reading it and what we find there as well is like we'll deal with clients all the time and some clients will say jake bitcoin and ethereum they have the largest market cap they have the most trade volume by far that to me means legitimacy and longevity they're the two that i want to invest in by all means we'll, we'll help get that done and then there are other clients who are thinking look i don't even like bitcoin and ethereum they're so valuable right now and they've already been around for several years some people are looking for these top 50 top 100 maybe top 200 altcoins that have still got that potential upside they're not billion dollar market caps yet but they're growing or they're doing something innovative or unique and that's fine as well obviously you run into a lot of different hurdles and the volatility might be quite different, but at the end of the day, uh, each to their own, as long as people take care of their security and give it some good thought, um, then we'll obviously support those endeavors. Yeah. Do you personally, would Web3 or DeFi or NFTs or Metaverse or gaming, does that interest you personally or? Oh, absolutely. Um, personally, yeah. how, do you, how do you stay, how do you, how do you keep up with it all? <laughs> Oh, it's very it's very difficult to yeah. um, the reality i think the first part is admitting that you're simply not um, like anyone who believes that they're a complete expert in the space or um, knows everything that's happening in the space uh, is is probably uh, a little bit overly ambitious in their assessment of themselves um, what i would say is that like we know and work with people who are very specifically interested in the nft space and even then they'll have their own subsection of that industry and then as you start to refine things, you realize that you can become an expert in a very specific area. Like some people are very passionate about decentralized finance. 
Others think the play to earn space is just the next biggest thing. And that's what they want to spend their time doing. But to be across the entirety of the market, you would, you'd start your morning with a coffee reading and you'd have to have probably 18 or 19 coffees before you're even halfway through the news in the market, which is unsustainable uh, to say the least. So I would say that when, at least personally, I like to stay across, just generally across what's going on. Yeah, um, so whether it's, whether it's just the general updates and direction of um, layer one tokens, whether it's um, just a general broad understanding of how's Chainlink going? Is Polygon being adopted successfully? Are people migrating away from um, paying gas fees in Ethereum? Is the Solana NFT space taking up any more market share? A lot of those broad facts of the market, um, that's a lot of the stuff that I think is quite interesting. And the thing with cryptocurrency too is if you don't have the news source or if you don't have access to that information, a lot of things can grow so fastly that by the time you hear about it, it's already, it's already done. Um, like even just the NFT space, like 2021, that entire ecosystem just blew up so dramatically. Um, and if you're not staying across it, at least to a small extent, you're going to look at the industry now and say, wait, there's this multi-billion dollar industry that just appeared out of nowhere. Exactly. Um, And same with the play to earn space. Like this whole idea of tokens having their own effective economy, in-game economy, which can reward people who play and invest in the game, but it can also allow people to gain advantages or gain extra resources or tools um, through paying for it themselves. And it creates this, self-functioning ecosystem um myself and a lot of people find that to be very interesting because you can see in so many parts of the world the profitability and the feasibility of simply playing cryptocurrency games um and that can be a means of employment in itself that's certainly not a job that i don't i don't think anyone even two or three years ago would have predicted that that would be something that millions of people around the world would be able to generate an income out of um, so it's so exciting seeing how the space changes so fast. Deadly. Um, tell us a little bit about how you started with, with Caleb and Brown, how that came about, how you sure. transitioned um, from just being a DJ. <laughs> I haven't fully transitioned from that. <laughs> None of us have. <laughs> um, so I suppose, as we're mentioning 2013, 2014 period, where I was personally studying, um, reading about the space. I even did some projects um, with my education around cryptocurrency. I'm pretty sure I got horrible grades on them as well, but I had a fun time doing them, so that's what matters. Um, And then through that whole process of personal interests, I had a lot of friends who were in the space as well. One of my good friends um, throughout high school and university so forth is Jackson, who's another one of the owners of our company, he's our CEO in Australia. And through being with him, going to university events, university functions. We had other business and commercial interests outside of cryptocurrency, but we kept on coming back to cryptocurrency. So eventually it gets to a point where you're thinking, well, I might be doing all this other work during the day or engaging in these other businesses. But if I start my day thinking about one thing and I end my day thinking about that same thing, that's probably a pretty good sign that you should seriously pursue that further. Um, And that's where... Uh, meeting some of the other owners of Caleb and Brown and some of the founders of Caleb and Brown just at some random university event that no one really even showed up to. Um, The kind of irony and 
it's kind of curious looking back and seeing how things start, but there's so much luck in actually getting that first encounter with the people that things start off with. Um, and that was several years ago now. And then it very quickly turned into a very, not just a full-time commitment, but like when you're starting a business out at an early stage, it's, it's more than just a job. It's pretty much the entirety of your life. Um, and being in the crypto space, particularly during 2018 and 19, where the markets were quite stale, they weren't looking too optimistic. A lot of people were purchasing, you might buy Bitcoin at $6,000 just to see it go to $4,000 or $3,000. It's not a very inspiring industry. Um, and clients aren't as excited about it either. So during those early stages of Caleb and Brown, it was more so just about building a reputation um, which centered around uh, security and quality assurance and making sure that consumers are protected, making sure scams, hacks, and all the horrible things you hear about the ecosystem are, are something that we can prevent entirely on our side. And then also making sure that we can continue to grow our suite of products and the quality of our service, regardless of what the market is doing. So I wouldn't say that that bear market period of 2018 and 19 was necessarily enjoyable but i would certainly say it was productive and necessary and then as we went into 2020 and 2021 well our staffing started to grow quite dramatically um we went from you know four of us to six of us to 10 to 20 um then we got more office space we got more floors in the office and eventually you kind of look back and think oh well this has actually kind of grown into quite a, a large scale business it really yeah. isn't the the bear market startup that, uh, that it once was. And that's been a very exciting journey. And now the business that it is today is still centered around the same ethics and values as what it was when everything first started. Nothing has changed in that regard. We still want to deliver the same service and have the same degree of decency and honesty with all our engagements. The only difference now is we've got dev teams around the world and we've got operations teams in multiple cities um, so the actual scale of work that we can do is, of course, significantly larger and better. Um, but same people at the end of the day, which is cool. Yeah. And and so what what's your typical service? I know I will sort of send some of my clients my, when I do my consulting and that if someone is, you know, doing what's a dollar cost average, small amounts, it's like an exchange is fine. But if someone's more interested in in taking a position in Bitcoin or um I'm like, well, probably better to go through an exchange or, or through an OTC broker because just you're dealing with a person. That's what I loved about dealing with you guys, especially when it's new and you're not sure about this stuff. It's nice to have someone on the end of the email or someone on the end of the phone even. And, and I'd often joke and I'd send you messages at all times at night. And I'm like, they're in Australia. And like, how are they even replying? <laughs> like, <laughs> Jake doesn't sleep. But I, well, I just mean, tell the guys a little bit about, about the service of the difference between, say, an OTC broker or a broker and, and using an exchange. For sure. I mean, the good thing there is now that we're 24-7, you can always get a reply without thinking that you're crippling the quality of life of the person <laughs> that you're dealing with, the Caleb and Brown. Um, I will admit there was a period of time where we, uh, I was probably pushing it a bit as to what hours of the day I would cover. Fortunately, now I can relax a bit more, get some coffees and get some good sleep. Um, but look to our service and where we fit into the scheme of cryptocurrency businesses. So we are very much like an exchange in the sense where you can buy and you can sell and you can place limit orders through a whole variety of coins. We do offer quite a significant amount of coins, around a thousand at this point in time, and hopefully more as, as things move forward. 
the biggest key difference with us is that every person that works with us um, will have a broker who is their primary contact for their account. They'll also have people who support that broker around uh, both like all parts of the time zone. So the full 24 seven, 365 days a year, um, just to make sure that if they ever need a phone call, if they ever need some perspective, if they have some objective questions, they need to run by someone. If you're running into wallet issues, if you want to hold coins with us and we've integrated Fireblocks, we're a custodian in that sense. We can hold coins with that quality assurance um, and insurance as well now. So as a result of that, um, the way that I see it is our, our job is to provide as many services and features as we can. So that way clients can effectively tailor how they would engage with us however best suits them. So some people might say, look, Jake, I just want to send some funds from time to time. There's a whole bunch of really tricky altcoins. They are an absolute nightmare to store and they're even harder to buy. So I just want to send you guys some British pounds. I want to send you some euros, some US dollars. I've, I've done that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you guys can have fun with that. Like your yeah. traders, best of the <laughs> you luck You sort out their wallets, please. <laughs> exactly. Um, and in that situation, because of the nature of how we work, we have in-house traders. Our access to liquidity is global and it's, it's so much more vast. So as a result of that, we can buy these altcoins without having to worry about enormous gas fees or pumping the price 10%. And there are a lot of the problems that you do run into in the crypto space. So that way we can make it a lot more cost effective, a lot more transparent and simple from the client's end. Um, so that's one example of some people who work with us. Um, a, a really common example is when people have got a large sum of these altcoins and on paper, it might say, you know, your million units of coin X is worth, and it's worth seven figures, but it says that on coin gecko, or it says that on coin market cap when you, when you search the price up, but someone's got to buy that in order for you to sell it. And if there's no one in the market or no one in the order book who wants to buy a, a million dollars worth of your token, you're in a, you're in a bit of trouble because it's really not worth a million dollars at that point. So a lot of our job in that scenario is working with clients directly so we can strategize on how they can best liquidate that position without crashing the market, without losing 20%, getting a 20% haircut by virtue of slipping the market dramatically. Um, and the cool thing there is because we're people, it's not like a chat bot on a website or a robot, but you can actually just get the phone and they'll say, okay, well, we can sell this much right now and get this price. Then we can see how the market goes over the coming hours. We can get some more liquidity over here and it, it becomes like a team effort at that point. Um, and it's all about getting the best outcome for that client. So that's another example. And then lastly, I would say if you're new to the crypto space, or even if you're not new to the crypto space, you're just very busy. Um, it's very understandable to not want to have six different screens open with five different laptops, three phones, and you've got all these exchanges and all these hot wallets and cold wallets and you're writing things down and you're forgetting where you sent your last Bitcoin transaction. It's very understandable that people want to invest in the space, but they don't want to have to navigate so many hurdles of security concern and market risk and gas fees. And a lot of these lessons can be very expensive for you to learn as well. And if you learn, if you learn hard lessons early in your cryptocurrency journey, it's quite discouraging to continue that journey. Um, like even for me, like I've had situations where I learned a lot about how gas fees work because I spent hundreds to thousands of dollars in gas fees 
just for an unsuccessful transaction. So to set all this Ethereum on fire, um, but you learn from that. But a lot of people would think, well, this is stupid. I've just wasted all this money. Why would I want to invest any more time or money into this ecosystem? Um, and we would like to position ourselves so that we can <laughs> stop you from making those decisions. We can prevent you from making those like rookie errors or some of them I wouldn't even call rookie errors because it's a complicated space. And then from that point forward, it just means that people can invest in the ecosystem, engage with the ecosystem, but they have that complete safe safety net, um, which a lot of traditional businesses do have, industries have, but the cryptocurrency space, it's just like, well, go out on your own and figure it out yourself and best of luck to you. If you get scammed or if something goes wrong, no one else is going to be accountable. Um, we kind of want to change that attitude and say, well, no, we actually are a regulated business. We do have consumer protection in mind. Um, we also have lawful standards we need to adhere to. So whilst we are dealing in a different asset class, you can rest assured that we are just like any other commercial enterprise where we have responsibilities. Um, if you send us money and we refuse to send you your coins or you send us money and you never hear back from us, of, of course we're liable for that. The cryptocurrency space is not a get out of jail free card, um, at least not in the at least not in 2022, definitely not. So that's what I find quite inspiring about the growth of the industry. And that's where we like to position ourselves with clients as well. Yeah, you guys also will custody, which I think that that is a good solution for some of my clients who are coming in and are taking their positions. They're not quite ready to self custody yet, but they want to take advantage of, of, of market movement, say, and get a position. It's like, well, it's grand. We're, Caleb will hold it for you and we'll set up the wallet and we'll do all that, but we don't have to do it instantly. Uh, I know I've Bitcoin sitting, which is probably a year now that I keep meaning to, but it's just so convenient. I'm like, ah, sure. It's probably safer with the lads than with me trying to, as you say, <laughs> look after my private keys and my wallets and everything. Um, but, and as recently I seen, you mentioned there, Fireblocks, is it? That's a custody solution. Correct. So as a business, a lot of the, and even, even with me and my kind of my travels and journey throughout Europe, a lot of the people that I'm meeting up with and engaging with, and a lot of who our business speaks to broadly as well is a lot of the business to business services that are offered out there. So because we're a much larger company now than we were several years ago, we can engage with a lot of this innovative technology that supports cryptocurrency businesses um, so that newsletter we sent out the other day, um, and if anyone's listening who wants to get more information, I can email it across directly. But that was just detailing because we've integrated Fireblocks into our system. It means the scalability to which clients can have unique wallet addresses generated and segregated for their accounts um, is just, it's an enormous step. Basically, if you're a client, you can have a unique Bitcoin wallet, Ethereum wallet, Ripple wallet, whatever it is, you name it. And because we support such a variety of these wallets with unique access to your account, it means that when you're sending us coins and when we're holding those coins for you, they are all itemized per client. So the exposure to risk, it's not like Jake's personally walking around and he's in his Katmandu yeah, yeah. jacket, he's got his ledger. And if he drops it down a drain, the whole business is gone. Um, <laughs> it's nothing like that at all. Um, and one of the limitations of self-custody is it is very hard to get an extraordinarily high standard of custody on your own. Because as a, even just me personally, as a, a retail 
customer in the cryptocurrency space. I can, of course, buy a hardware wallet. I can put my private keys in a, a safety deposit box in a vault or something like that. But this, that's pretty much as crazy as it gets. Outside of that, there's a few more bells and whistles, but there's not really all that much more. Whereas when we're integrating things like Fireblocks uh, at a commercial level, it just means that we can offer so much more. And it also means that in the event that there was ever an issue, if coins were stuck or lost or compromised, that would be an isolated issue. It's not corroding the entire liquidity of a business. Um, it's not creating this snowball or domino effect where everything is now gone and yeah. the, the doors are closed and we can't pay the electricity bill anymore. It's not like that. So as a result of that, we can also achieve insurance through the use of Fireblocks. So what I would like to kind of conclude with that is that what it means for clients is it's not about store your coins with Caleb and Brown, trade with Caleb and Brown. It's more about, well, here's a resource. We're happy to speak to you, whether you're a client or not. If you sign up with us and you never do a transaction with us and we never generate a single trade fee or anything from you, we're all quite passionate about the ecosystem and genuinely want to help. So you can still speak to us as often as you'd like and no one's ever going to complain. So I think that's one of the really cool things about our industry. And then if someone says, hey, Jake, I read about um, your new iterations with your custody solutions. Um, I'd like to store some of my coins with you. Of course, we can do that. We can make sure all is safe. And if you ever change your mind, we just test your wallet and get the coins right back to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what is, we were chatting there. I know you're, I'm not going to keep you too long because you've got to go to Paris today. Um, so tell us just a little bit about a typical day for you, man. Well, that, okay. So um, some years ago, a typical day when I was mostly, business was pretty much split operation side and then customer facing side. So there was, when there's four of us to six of us, those days were very kind of typical and standard in the sense where, well, the ops team is building products. They're making our service better. And if you're on the customer facing team and we're a small startup business, speak to as many people as possible, build as many relationships as you can. So the days were phone, email, meetings, coffees, just constantly just running through that cycle day after day. Um, as we've actually grown, the business has become even more structured. Now it's not customer facing and operations it's now custody legal accounting finance like it's so itemized now it's ridiculous but in saying that my days are the least predictable that they've ever been which is kind of the, the funny nature of how it all works um so generally speaking i still deal with tons of clients around the world that i've had for many years now um I also, we have teams in Australia and, and in Europe that both need to be managed and make sure everything's working and taken care of. We've got to get new people starting and hiring people and things like that. And then at the same time, um, like, as you mentioned, I'm going to Paris, meeting with other partners that we work with, whether it's business to business relationships, companies that engage with us, clients that we've worked with for a long time, whether it's accounting firms, lawyers, regulatory advisors, you name it. So the days are quite scattered. They're never boring, which is a good part, um, but they're also very unpredictable. So that's a day in the life is somewhat chaotic, but also very enjoyable. And you get a lot of things done in a lot of different areas. And yeah, it doesn't really feel like work, to be quite honest with you. 
awesome um i'm uh, i'm a bit like that myself i love what i do it's like what do you do well, i just chat to people yeah. <laughs> it's great like pretty much um for fun will bitcoin survive till 2030 and if it does what <laughs> what would you speculate on its price <laughs> good question okay so will bitcoin survive to 2030 now um so trade volume has gone up dramatically in Bitcoin over these years. The nature of the investor in Bitcoin has also changed dramatically. You know, we mentioned earlier, what's the adoption like being in the industry? Well, early days of Bitcoin, having to buy it using cash at a Starbucks store versus now having major, major household name companies um, and people around the world investing in the space, having exchange traded funds investing in bitcoin and legitimizing bitcoin all the way through to tesla having a stake in bitcoin and, and jack dorsey from twitter and square the the nature of the investor is just you cannot compare it to even two or three years ago where it is now what's important is realizing that there's only ever going to be 21 million bitcoin of which regrettably a large percentage of that has been lost over the years um, or, or cannot be accessed anymore. So the supply realistically will be a lot less than 21 million in that sense. Um, the reason I'm mentioning that is that as trade volume increases, as more people are interested in the ecosystem, because of the relative scarcity of Bitcoin and it's like fundamental supply demand economic principles, the, I would say the, the probability of Bitcoin not existing in 2030, I would say is low. Now, what price it will be, it's probably going to have a number of cycles between now and 2030 based on the halving events every four years that historically has also mapped out the volatility to a large extent as well. So the difference between here and 2030 is our lifetimes away. I believe that Bitcoin will certainly still exist then. It's an apolitical asset. It operates independently and does not have ge geographical boundaries like a lot of other assets do. Even in times of like COVID uncertainty and war around the world, the, the value proposition of Bitcoin is in many senses strengthened by geopolitical uncertainty. Um, whereas other more traditional asset classes are questioned and people lose confidence in them. So with all that being said, I really, really do not hope, I really hope the world becomes less chaotic over time. I certainly do. But I think regardless of that, Bitcoin's going to be in a quite a good position between now and then, whether it hits 100,000 US dollars, which is a big psychological barrier. Well, it's been, it's been pretty close to it. It's been close to 70,000 US dollars just in October, November last year. So given the spikes of volatility, and how, how much it moves from its low to its high in every kind of cycle that it goes through. Well, if we have another major cycle where there's tremendous growth across the market, based on the, the height that it was last time, you would think it's be quite probable that Bitcoin could hit 100,000 US dollars and could certainly go well beyond that. Now, I would be very happy if that was the case, and I certainly hope that is the case, but I'd also be kidding myself if I thought that we're going to wake up tomorrow and have a straight line to 100K or 200K. Um, where I think it's very likely that we're going to have really horrible days in the market, which we've even seen some just in the last one and a half, two months. 
We're also going to have days in the market where everyone's wanting to shout their friends' drinks and they're celebrating and crypto is the best thing ever and you're telling your, your Uber driver about it and you're telling your neighbor who doesn't want to hear about it. You're knocking on their door and telling them. We're going to have those days as well. Um, and I think that between now and 2030, it's going to go in both directions several times, up, down, sideways. Um, <laughs> but we will ultimately see more innovation in the space, more growth, more uh, sound investment. And that is highly likely going to increase the collective valuation of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And if Bitcoin is going to retain that number one seat, then logically the price would have to go up in order for it to achieve that. So, so what are you talking? <laughs> Give us a figure. <laughs> Come on, it's for fun. Very, 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 very political answer, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, look, I, 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 think, I think it's highly likely we'll see Bitcoin over 100K US. 100k. 100k. I'm, I'm, I, as much as I admit the psychological barriers of people saying, oh, 100,000 or 10,000, yeah. everyone wants those nice round numbers. I'm a complete victim to that as well. Um, I just I have, I, I can just admit my biases and admit the faults in that logic. Um, but even for me, it's like I, I would really like to see Bitcoin break 100,000 for that exact psychological reason to get that barrier, add that zero onto the end of it. Um, and before 2030, well, if Bitcoin doesn't do 100k before 2030, then I'm going to be I'm going to be one of those kind of I'm going to be, going to be pretty upset and uh, <laughs> a pretty unpleasant person to be around. I would say so. Let's hope that it gets over 100k. But I'd I'd like to say 100. Yeah, I think that's my lowest one yet for 2030. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to I look. I You're like conservative. conservative. We like that stuff. You're I'm not, not trying to um, pump or spruik the market or anything yeah, like yeah. that. Like on my end, it's like, well, we need more innovation in the space. We need more adoption. We need more businesses who support like the infrastructure of cryptocurrency needs to have people are getting scammed all the time. Still people are yeah. misplacing their coins, even in the, with OpenSea in the NFT space, like there has been some quite prolific scares that we've had even just in recent times. So Bitcoin can forget going to 100K if the industry is not going to continuously provide a better product that gives confidence to investors. Now, Bitcoin is independent of that. That Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. Yeah. If you've got, if you, if you have major exchanges who get hacked or get taken down or have directors who are operating um, without the best interest of their customers, that will in turn affect the consumers' in, uh, thoughts and perspective on Bitcoin. So, with all that being said, the way that I kind of would conclude it is that if we have um, if we have more businesses that have an interest in consumer protection, if custody solutions are continuously growing, access to education and, and, and knowledge resources and news and things like that is also often abundance, then between now and 2030, the market has every reason to have optimism and success and your bull markets. And a hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin might be in, by twenty thirty. I might look like an idiot only saying it at a hundred k, or maybe we won't even get there. I certainly yeah. Have to do that. yeah, that's an interesting point though. On the, you know, that the, we have to mature with the custody solutions to to hit those numbers and beyond. Um, right. We can't just be like, as you say, putting our private keys in safety deposit boxes. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, I just got a coffee. How good is that? Uh, <laughs> no, it's like, if we, if I look back at when I was first engaged in this space, realistically, 
you would, I had to be a little bit of an idiot to even do that. Like I'm talking like getting cash out of an ATM, physically meeting some random guy or girl at a cafe and well, here is the cash and this is my wallet address. And I send you the Bitcoin and you're thinking back then you're thinking, did I even get actual Bitcoin or did I get Bitcoin or <laughs> something? Yeah. Some, some little spin-off. Um, or even now, like, you know, in, in today's terms, you think, did I get two Bitcoin or did I get two Bitcoin cash or whatever other variable there might be? So looking at how people invested in the space back then, it's no surprise that Bitcoin was only worth a few hundred dollars because the infrastructure was just non-existent. Mm. And then when Mt. Gox, which was the biggest one of, I believe it may have been the biggest exchange in terms of reported Bitcoin trade volume daily, when they had their coins compromised, which is still an ongoing legal case, which is definitely worth researching for anyone who's interested. In that scenario, it's like, well, what do you do then? Like if the majority of trade volume is with a business, which is now just does not have access to your assets anymore, why would anyone want to invest in that asset class? Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin's just doing its thing. Like that's just a white paper that just it's it's real realistically it's just code that's supported by yeah yeah the humans are the weakness i suppose (laughs) yeah no the humans humans are the ones who screw it up these other things they they exist with with or without us and um, we can kind of fully embrace it and make it useful or we can scam each other and uh, waste each other's time that's i guess decentralization the reality of a decentralized market is that it does give a lot of power to consumers it also takes a lot of the safety nets away from consumers. So that's why you've got to have that balance between being passionate about the ecosystem, but also being wary and vigilant at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I want to thank you for your time, Jake, and uh, for coming pleasure. on. Really insightful. Learned loads. Um, I will add in, I know you guys, Caleb, have been kind enough to share us with us a link where we get reduced fees. So I'll link that in the comments uh, below if anyone is interested in, in checking you guys out and, um, and do check out Caleb Brown, check out the site um, the, uh, the blog and everything is awesome. Like it's a great resource of information and um, yeah, thanks very much for coming on, man. Hopefully we chat again soon. Appreciate it. Well, look, thank you very much. And I'm sure we'll be in touch real soon. Hey, I'm just going to